We stand alongside of a mid-inmate when they get saved. If they truly are saved and they want to see their loved ones saved, they give us the names and the addresses of that loved one. We then mail that loved one the plan of salvation, the five steps to heaven. And 10 days after that goes out, we call that loved one and hopingly to be able to lead them to the Lord. Just yesterday, I got a phone call from a young lady. When I answered the phone, she said, are you Ray Whitmer? I said, yes, I am. She said, you're the one I want to get a hold of. You sent me a letter telling me that how bad I was and that I was going to hell. And well, we didn't. She was the wife of an inmate. And we sent her the plan of salvation to her. Well, after a period of about a half an hour or so, she calmed very down. She informed me she didn't believe in God, she didn't believe in heaven, she didn't believe in hell. And after going through some scripture verses with her, upon about a half an hour later, I said to her, you know you're going to go to heaven or going to hell. It's not what you say. It's not what I say. It's going to happen. Now it's up to you where you're going to spend eternity. And she started to sob. I had the privilege of really going through the plan of salvation with her on the telephone. And afterwards, I said, do you mind if I pray? And she said, please do. And I prayed with her over the telephone. And this is some of the outreach that we don't know about sometimes that gets into the hearts and the family of their loved ones. We send out the five steps to heaven. And along with that, we hopingly will get into the hearts of the inmates along with the inmates' loved ones. Now, after the inmates' loved ones get saved and also with the loved one that's getting out, inmates getting out of prison, we take a step further and we try to become a very good friend of theirs. And with that, we want to try to get them into a good fundamental church when they get out of prison. And I can stand here and tell you if we don't do that and they don't get into a good fundamental church, they're going to be right back in there. And this is what we're trying to stay away from. Now, upon completing the first lesson in a year's time, and they have a score of 70%, we give them a King James Bible. Uh, completing the second year lesson, we give them a Bible commentary. The third year, we give them a Bible dictionary. The fourth year, we give them a book of uh, Christian growth. Now, if they complete the five years of Bible lessons, we send them to Hawaii. <laughs> they would hope. <laughs> we have any suggestions for that fifth year, please let me know. We would be more than glad. I've just been praying about that, and I don't quite know what to do for them to help them in the fifth year. We're now mailing out. We just started starting this coming month. And please, if you have ever prayed, pray for this thing. We have been contacted by the Bureau of Prisons along with the inmates. There is 14,000 
I'm going to repeat that. There's 14,000 children of inmates from 5 to 15. Out of that group, there's approximately 2% that goes to any kind of church on Sunday mornings or any time. So what we're going to do is we're going to be sending them out Bible lessons for them to do the same as we do the inmates and for them to do the Bible lessons and mail them back. And when that happens, in the area that that comes back, we hope to be able to contact the local church there to go see them. So please, it's something that is very, very, very expensive to do. And my, <coughs> excuse me, my board says, uh, do you have a tree that's growing money? And I said, yeah, I have a Heavenly Father that has in charge of that. And I really firmly believe that he laid it on my heart to do this and that all of our needs will be met. I have no problem with that. Folks, we have a program that you can get involved with. We have a pen pal program that we have women writing to women, men writing to men, and let me tell you something. When these inmates get saved, and they're truly saved, they are an outcast in their prison. They have no friends. They have nothing to come alongside of them. And they'll write to us, and they'll let us know that. And then what we do is we mail the letter to the, the church pastor. And we ask the people to... Just buy, if you can't afford a card, I'll send you some. But just on a card, just simply write, I'm praying for you. You do not, you do not put your address on the return. You put the church's address on that return. In the 15 years, we have never had anybody getting out of prison that had contacted any individual. But listen, think about it three, four years. They need a loved one. They need somebody that they know besides us telling them that they're going to pray for them. On our table back there is a sheet. Please sign up that you're willing to be a pen pal to one of these inmates. We will give it to the, all information will come to the pastor and he will share that with you. Each inmate there in prison has a family, most of them. A lot of the men have lost their wives. A lot of the wives have lost their men. What do you do? Where do they go? Where do they turn to? And this is what we need for you to do is pray about this. We had been concerned about having a place where they could come out. And we have even as much as been approved by the, by the Bureau of Prisons to be able to do that. To come out and they can't go home or they can't go to no one, but what do they do? We need a place where they can come out, grow in the Lord, being taught, being grounded in the Word of God. And then we can get them a good job and get them turned around. 
that is one of our goals that we really have. We also want you to pray to have a missionary in every state in the United States. We do have a gentleman from Charleston area coming on board for us to uh, help me out and to sort of take the uh, load off of me. Uh, I'm very young, I'm only 73, but uh, it's, it's just getting to the point, the growth that we have that we need help. So if you don't mind, I pray that you would pray for that. Would you take your Bibles this morning and would you turn to Matthew 25? Turn to Matthew 25. And I'm going to ask you for the reverence of the Word of God if you would stand for the reading of this word, please. I'm going to start at the 35th verse. And the Bible says, For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hunger and thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we, when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it to me. Then shall he say also to them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, <clears throat> prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we in hunger, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, and sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the reading of God's word. Lord, we pray that we would never, never lose sight of those, Lord, that are in prison and that those that really need help. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me now as I share with these people what you have laid on my heart. In Jesus' precious name I do pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is my love of my life. This is my sweetheart. We've been married for 50... Huh? 54. 54 years. And you're 75. 
Huh? And you're 75, not 73. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> She's precious. We want to sing you a song that we truly... I'm going to shut this off, ma'am, while we sing. Is that okay? Or can you do that for me? Okay. This is a song that we really love. Please listen to the words of this song. The things that I love and hold dear to my heart are just sorrowed. They're not mine at all. Jesus only let me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Remember, I'm human. And humans forget, so remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Nothing good have I done to deserve God's own Son. I'm not worthy of the scars in His hands. Yet he chose the road to Calvary to die in my stead. While he loved me, I can't understand. Roll back the curtain of memory now and then. Show me where you brought me from. And where I could have been Remember, I'm humans And humans forget So remind me Remind me, dear Lord So remind me Remind me, dear Lord this morning when the pastor called me I toyed with what I could bring to you all I prayed much about it and God laid this morning Sunday school on my heart but he also wouldn't let me alone until I just want to share my testimony and what God brought me through. And I just want you to realize that God is able, I don't care if you're here this morning and the troubles that you have, God knows and understands. 
This was my lovely wife that stood beside me for 37 months while I was in prison. Every time there was a visitation, she was there. She supported herself the whole time I was in prison. Never, never is a day go by that I don't thank the Lord for her. She truly is a Proverbs 31 lady. You may not know it, but most women, after one year a man's in prison, will leave, leave them. And I praise God that she was faithful. I was born in 1938 to a Mennonite family in Greencastle, Pennsylvania. That's between Chambersburg and Hagerstown, Maryland, called the Mason and Dixon Line. I had a dad that believed in the stars and the stripes. He gave me the star stripes and I seen the stars. <laughs> we have four children that love the Lord, two girls, two boys, 15 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren. Now I've got to clear up thing. My daughter isn't a pastor. She married one. That's how we have three in our family. You know, I could not pray or read my Bible with several weeks. And God touched me and led me to a place where he broke me. You know, I taught Sunday school for 20 years. I was a deacon. I helped set up a Christian school, gave my tithe, sent all my children to Christmas college, Christian college and school. Pretty good dad, huh? Not true. God wasn't number one in my life. Money was my God. And I did make big money. We traveled across the United States and to other countries. I purchased a home in Florida with a pool and the whole works. And I paid cash for it. And God said, that's enough. In 1998, God brought me down at the age of 60 years old. I served 37 months in prison for mail fraud. I brought shame on my wife, my family, my church, but most of all, on oh my God. I spent nine months in a six by nine foot cell, locked down for 23 hours a day, only to get out one hour a day to walk in a wire cage if it wasn't raining. I got very bitter. I wrote nasty letters to my pastor, to my brother, and other people. You see, I blamed them for everything instead of myself. I could not pray or read the Bible. It went for weeks that way. And the only Bible I had found was in the library. And you can see it on displayed in the table in the back. I stopped eating. They took me to a doctor. They took me to several quack doctors trying to find out what my trouble was. It was very simple, folks. I wanted to die. I wrote my wife a letter, and I told her that I'd give her a divorce if she wanted it, because I didn't blame her. I felt so sorry for her that I had left her down. At night, I would lay on my bunk, and I would cry. 
I had hated myself so much. One night I was hurting so bad, I cried out to God, God, just take me home. I don't want to live. Please, please, God, help me out of this mess that I'm in. I picked up the Bible that night, and I turned to John 12, 24. And to my surprise, I was now able to read it. And it said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die. I stopped. Just then it came to me. I remember as a boy raised on a farm that when we replanted corn, that a grain of corn went into the ground, it had to do two things. First, it had to die. But the other thing that kernel of corn had to do was break open in order to come out new life. It hit me between the eyes. I could now see that God had to break me to get my attention. And he done a fabulous job in breaking me. I fell to my knees that night and I surrendered my life to God and I asked him to forgive me of what I have done. <coughs> and I have done and I've made all my wrongs right. I then sat down and wrote a lot of forgiving letters. A peace came to my life that night I did not know for a long time. The struggle and hatred that I had in my heart was over. Things started to happen to me that you would not believe. What was God doing in my life now? What was all the breaking over? My brother that I had and was very close to died. They would not let me go to his funeral unless I went with two guards and in leg chains. Plus, I had to pay the expense of the two guards and transportation in advance. Well, I would never put my family through that scene. Then, my mother-in-law died, and the same thing happened. Then they came in to me and told me to pack up that I was going to be transferred to prison out of town, away from my family. No one would tell me where I was going. Plus, I could not tell my family that I was even being shipped. <coughs> it was like a knife stabbing me in the stomach. And I cried out, God, I gave everything to you. What are you doing? Why, Lord, why are you letting this happen to me now? I hit the bottom, folks. Why was God doing to me? I couldn't understand it. I have seen them ship men across the country. You see, expense was no object for the federal government. They put me in cuffs and in leg chains with two United States Marshals, and they drove me to Moundsville, West Virginia, about two hours away. My family had no idea of where I was, and they would not let me tell them or notify them. Not then did I know that God had his hand on that move. It was the first time in nine months that I had ever heard anything about God and the preaching. It was the sweetest thing that I had ever heard. That week I was able to lead a man to the Lord. 
It was a story that you would not believe. When we first got there that first night, they let us go to hear preaching. I never had heard that before. I never had seen that. And we walked up the long aisle to the chapel. And there the man preached the gospel. They gave us a Bible, which I didn't have. On the way back, this young man tried to talk to me. He said, would you tell me about God? And I looked at him and I said, I, I, I don't have the time. We walked back. And I was in a cell, <clears throat> what to call multiple cell, which was with 11 men. And I was a federal prisoner, so I got down on the main floor and was, had a cell of my own. And I laid there that night. And it came back to me. What if this man goes to hell? Because you did not tell him. I fought for some time. I then got up. And I went upstairs where they were a group of cells. And I found the young boy up there. And I told him that I was sorry for not helping him. <coughs> I told him about Jesus and what God done for him. He got down. He was on the top bunk and he got down and he said... I want to be saved. I don't want to die and go to hell. And we knelt down and we prayed there. And when he got up, he said, I want to show you something. He lifted up his mattress. And under his mattress was sheets tied together as a rope. And out on the ledge, he had already hung a rope. He was planning on hanging himself that night. And I... <laughs> And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it as long as I live, God's sent you my way. Well, folks, I went back to my cell. I was just thrilled to death of doing that. But I wondered, surely he'll not commit suicide. But in the morning... And I woke. I went up real fast. He was gone. They had come and got him and took him to Wheeling, West Virginia, where he was on trial. I don't know, and I haven't seen him since. But I can tell you one thing. I will see him in heaven. This man who's going to take his life, the Lord led me to Moundsville, West Virginia, by the expense of the federal government. That day, they came and got me, took me back to Morgantown. And on the way back, I couldn't help but think how God stepped in to save one soul. That was a time that I'll never forget. When I got back, I was not in lockdown. They left me go out on the compound where I had never had seen flowers, trees, ducks, water. Nine months I hadn't seen any of that. I could, I just stood there and looked. 
things surely would be better now that I'm not locked down. And then something happened. Surely my breaking was over now. Well, not so. I had a massive heart attack where I lost 70% of my heart. They left me lay for six hours before they sent me to the hospital. The pain was so great that it felt like a knife stabbing me in the chest and coming out my back. But you know, I still had a peace that I cannot explain. The doctor talked to my wife and I, and he said that he would like for me to have a chance to live. With death only minutes away, he said if it didn't something happen, that I'd soon die. He would try to open my blockage, and a blockage was at the top of my heart. In the operating room, the doctor told me that my chances of pulling through this was very slim. When I go in to your blockage, and if that blockage moves, Ray, it'll kill you instantly. I laid there. I cried. And I prayed. And I said to the doctor, Doc, do what you have to do. And he went up in my veins and he came to my heart. And he stopped and he looked at me. And I said, go for it. I'm ready to go. And he did. You know, a peace came to my heart and when five minutes later, I'd passed out and I woke up. No pain was all gone. And you know, he went out to the waiting room like a Pentecostal preacher just shouting up a storm to my wife. All the pain's gone. He's okay. Well, several weeks, I laid in the hospital. Then they took me back. The men at the prison had all kinds of questions to ask me about the Bible. I was able to lead the men to the Lord. I asked my son to send me Bible lessons that they could grow. I sat down with these men and I explained the simple things from the Bible. They wanted to know more about God. They, they were so hungry to know the truth. God started to work in my life to help these men. It was one thing to see them get saved, but another, wanting to know more about God and the truth. They wanted to know the truth. It was unbelievable. I had been in different countries. This was good old United States of America, a Christian nation, a church on every corner, but why did these men not know about God? Only him is a cuss word. They knew nothing about how to get to heaven or if God was really real. And I couldn't understand how this could happen to our country. My mind went back as a child when we sang a song. 
this little light of mine. And, and would you all be so kind to sing it with me this morning? This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Question. Are you letting your light shine? God gave me a burden and a compassion for these men. I remember reading the Bible, what Jesus said in Matthew 9. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. These men didn't have a shepherd. God burdened me about this. I couldn't get it out of my system. And I kept telling Lord, I'm not a learned man. I need to forget about this. And God wouldn't let me do that. Yes, all kinds of Bible lessons came into prisons. I read them all. But there are very few of them that came in that said that you must repent. And that you must turn your life over to the Lord. Nothing about Satan in hell. After reading this, my burdens got greater. Again, God broke my heart. There was something missing. How could these men ever know the truth? It was not like they could go to church down the street or across town. What were they going to do? God said, what about you, Ray? Some of them were serving ten to life in prison. They listened to me because I was one of them. I could talk to them. I said, okay, Lord, if you can use me, I will do it. How? Lord, I don't know how in the world that I can ever help these men. And they started to ask me all kinds of questions. Is God real? Is he alive today? Does he care about me? Does he know who I am and what I have done? Is there, Ray, a real hell? Does God really care who I am? It kept me busy showing these men from the Bible and dealing with their needs. I never knew anything like this exceeded in our country that people not know about God. What our churches are doing, I don't know. This is something you would hear in Africa or China or Russia, but this was the United States of America. How my heart went out to these men. I was taught all my life and took it for granted, just like some of you here. I really did not care or even think about people dying and going to hell. It comes right down to it. Do we Christians care? Do we have compassion and concern for the lost? Do we witness or just have, don't have time for it? What is wrong with this scene? The Bible tells us that all of us is going to stand before God and give account of ourselves. When was the last time you gave out a track? 
You have a beautiful track rack back there. I went back twice and looked at it. There's all kind of tracks back there on different subjects. Do you use them? When was you concerned and prayed and wept over a lost one? Someone in your family was dear to you and you know that they weren't serving God. You know, Hezekiah was told he was going to die. He turned his face towards the wall and he cried and prayed. But look what God told him. I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. When was the last time that God seen your tears and concern over a loved one or the loss? Psalms 126.5 They that sows in tears shall reap in joy. I learned to know three men while I was in prison. They all had one thing in common. The first man killed and buried a man that the authorities wouldn't find him. But you know what? God used this man. He gave us the Ten Commandments. The second man fell in love with a lady that was married. So he had her husband killed so that he could have her. And God used this man to give us the 23rd Psalm. But God also said to this man, was after his own heart. The third man killed, persecuted Christians, and he even held a man's coat while they stoned him to death. God used this man to give us several books of the Bible. But I want you to notice something. How God used these men after they committed murder. Question to you today. Can, Yah, can God use men and women coming out of prison? Folks, think about it. What would you do if Moses, David, Paul, or an inmate wanted to come to this church? Would he be welcome? Would they fit in? They were murderers, you know. The Bible tells us God puts our sea, sin in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered. But you know, folks, we have a hard time of doing that ourselves. The Bible tells us in Luke 24, and that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached in, among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. Folks, United States of America is our Jerusalem. What are you going to begin? What are you going to do? Less people now go to church in the United States than in a lot of foreign countries. We have a great problem, folks. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, oh God, how my heart, each time I tell this story, how my mind goes back to the men that I sat beside of, the men I prayed with, the men that I put my arms around, and the men that are struggling. Oh God, I pray for each person, man, woman, here this morning, 
Lord, would search their lives. Lord, that they would think more of others and less of themselves. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Can I ask you a question? What are you going to do when you stand before God and He asks you, have you told? I would like to challenge you this morning. Would you by lifting your hand say, Brother Ray, I will do more. I'll give out tracts. Do anything that the Lord lays on my heart to do, I will do. Would you raise your hand and promise God that? Yes, 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 amen. See that? Yes. Listen to this song as my wife and I sing it. And it's our prayer that you would do what this song tells you. Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all my will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me. everyone here in this congregation today would search their lives and God give them a new burden for lost loved ones, people in their community people around them we pray for this church that it would be a lighthouse into this community that people would know that they can see you in it we thank you for our pastor we ask your blessings upon this service. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen.